Book Six of the History of Britain, Part One, by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. The History of Britain, the Sixth Book, Edward the Younger. Side note, A.D. nine seven five. Return to text. Edward, the eldest son of Edgar, by Egelfleda, his first wife, the daughter of Duke Ordmer, was, according to right and his father's will, placed in the throne. Elfrida, his second wife, and her faction only repining, who laboured to have had her son Ethelred, a child of seven years, preferred before him, that she, under that pretense, might have ruled all. Meanwhile, comets were seen in heaven, pretending not famine only, which followed the next year, but the troubled state of the whole realm not long after to ensue. The troubles, begun in Edwin's days, between monks and secular priests, were now revived and drew on either side many of the nobles into parties. For Elphir, Duke of the Mercians, with many other peers, corrupted, as is said, with gifts, drove the monks out of those monasteries where Edgar had placed them, and in their stead put secular priests with their wives. But Ethelwyn, Duke of the East Angles, with his brother Elfwold, and Earl Britnorth, opposed them, and gathering an army defended the abbeys of the east angles from such intruders to appease these tumults a synod was called at winchester and nothing being there concluded a general council both of nobles and prelates was held at colne in wiltshire where while the dispute was hot but chiefly against dunstan the roof of the room wherein they sat fell upon their heads killing some and maiming others dunstan only escaping upon a beam that fell not, and the king being absent by reason of his tender age. This accident quieted the controversy, and brought both parties to hold with Dunstan and the monks. Meanwhile the king, addicted to a religious life and of a mild spirit, simply permitted all things to the ambitious will of his stepmother and her son Ethelred, to whom she, displeased that the name only of king was wanting, practised thenceforth to remove King Edward out of the way, which in this manner she brought about. Edward on a day wearied with hunting, thirsty and alone, while his attendants followed the dogs, hearing that Ethelred and his mother lodged at Corvesgate, Corf Castle, Seth Camden, in the Isle of Purbeck, innocently went thither. She, with all show of kindness welcoming him, commanded drink to be brought forth, for it seems he lighted not from his horse, and while he was drinking caused one of her servants, privately before instructed, to stab him with a poniard. The poor youth, who little expected such unkindness there, turning speedily the reins, fled, bleeding, till through loss of blood falling from his horse and expiring, yet held with one foot in the stirrup, he was dragged along the way, traced by his blood, and buried without honour at Wareham having reigned about three years. But the place of his burial not long after grew famous for miracles, after which, by Duke Elphir, who, as Malmesbury saith, had a hand in his death, note, post-Christ 978, return to text, he was royally interred at Skepton, or Shaftesbury. The murderess Elfrida, at length repenting, spent the residue of her days in sorrow and great penance. Ethelred. Ethelred, second son of Edgar by Alfreda, for Edmund his elder brother died a child, 
his brother Edward, having been wickedly removed, was now next in right to succeed. Note, post-Christ 979, return to text. And accordingly was crowned at Kingston. Reported by some to have been fair of visage, comely of person, and elegant of behavior, but the event will show that with many sluggish and ignoble vices he quickly shamed his outside, born and prolonged through many years of life, to be a fatal mischief to his people and the ruin of his country, whereof he gave early signs from his first infancy, bewraying the font and water while the bishop was baptizing him, whereat Dunstan much troubled, for he stood by and saw it, to them next him broke into these words, My God and God's mother, this boy will prove a sluggard. Another thing is written of him in his childhood, which argued no bad nature, that hearing of his brother Edward's cruel death, he made loud lamentation. But his furious mother, offended therewith, and having no rod at hand, beat him so with great wax candles that he hated the sight of them ever after. Dunstan, though unwilling, set the crown upon his head, but at the same time foretold openly, as is reported, the great evils that were to come upon him and the land in avengement of his brother's innocent blood. And about the same time, one midnight, a cloud, sometimes bloody, sometimes fiery, was seen over all England, and within three years, note, post-Christ 982, return to text, the Danish tempest, which had long ceased, revolved again upon this island. To the more ample relating whereof, the Danish history, at least their latest and diligentest historian, as neither from the first landing of Danes in the reign of West Saxon Brithric, so now, again, from first to last, contributes nothing. Busied more than enough to make out the bare names and successions of their uncertain kings and their small actions at home. Unless out of him I should transcribe what he takes, and I better may, from our own annals. The surer and the sadder witnesses of their doings here, not glorious as they vainly boast, but most inhumanly barbarous. For the Danes, well understanding that England had now a slothful king to their wish, first landing at Southampton from seven great ships, took the town, spoiled the country, and carried away with them great pillage. Nor was Devonshire and Cornwall uninfested on the shore. Pirates of Norway also harried the coast of Westchester. And, to add a worse calamity, the city of London was burnt, whether casually or not is not written. It chanced four years after that Ethelred besieged Rochester. Note, post-Christ 986, return to text. Some way or other offended by the bishop thereof. Dunstan, not approving the cause, sent to warn him that he provoked not St. Andrew, the patron of that city, nor waste his lands, an old craft of the clergy to secure their church lands by entailing them on some saint. The king not hearkening, Dunstan, on this condition that the siege might be raised, sent him a hundred pounds. The money was accepted, and the siege dissolved. Dunstan, reprehending his avarice, sent him again this word, Because thou hast respected money more than religion, the evils which I foretold shall the sooner come upon thee, but not in my days, for so God hath spoken. The next year, note, post-Christ 987, returned text, was calamitous, bringing strange fluxes upon men, and murrain upon cattle. 
Dunstan, the year following, died, a strenuous bishop, zealous without dread of person, and, for aught appears, the best of many ages, if he busied not himself too much in secular affairs. He was chaplain at first to King Athelstan, and to Edmund who succeeded him, and much employed in court affairs, till, envied by some who laid many things to his charge, he was by Edmund forbidden the court. But by the earnest mediation, saith Ingulf, of Turcato, the Chancellor, received at length to favour, and made abbot of Glaston, and lastly, by Edgar and the general vote, Archbishop of Canterbury. Not long after his death, the Danes arriving in Devonshire were met by Goda, lieutenant of that country, and Strenwold, a valiant leader, who put back the Danes, but with loss of their own lives. The third year following, note post-Christ 991, return to text, under the conduct of Justin and Guthmund, the son of Staton, they landed and spoiled Ipswich, fought with Britnoth, Duke of the East Angles, about Malden, where they slew him. The slaughter else had been equal on both sides. These and the like depredations on every side the English, not able to resist, by counsel of Cyric, then Archbishop of Canterbury, and two dukes, Ethelwald and Alfred, it was thought best for the present to buy that with silver which they could not gain with their iron, and ten thousand pounds was paid to the Danes for peace, which for a while contented them, but taught them the ready way how easiest to come by more. The next year but one, note, post-Christ 993, return to text, they took by storm and rifled Bebenburg, an ancient city near Durham. Sailing thence to the mouth of the Humber, they wasted both sides thereof, Yorkshire and Lindsay, burning and destroying all before them. Against these went out three noblemen, Frana, Frithagist, and Godwin, but being all Danes by the father's side, willingly began flight, and forsook their own forces, betrayed to the enemy. No less treachery was at sea, for Alfred, the son of Elfer, Duke of Mercia, whom the king for some offence had banished but now recalled, sent from London with a fleet to surprise the Danes in some place of disadvantage, gave them overnight intelligence thereof, then fled to them himself which his fleet, saith Florent, perceiving, pursued, took the ship, but missed of his person. The Londoners, by chance grappling with the East Angles, made them fewer, saith my author, by many thousands. Others say that by this notice of Alfred, the Danes not only escaped, but with a greater fleet set upon the English, took many of their ships, and in triumph brought them up the Thames, intending to besiege London for Anlaf, king of Norway, and Swain of Denmark, at the head of these, came with ninety-four galleys. Side note, A.D. 994, return to text. The king, for this treason of Alfred, put out his son's eyes. But the Londoners, both by land and water, so valiantly resisted their besiegers that they were forced in one day with great loss to give over. But what they could not do on the city, they wrecked themselves on the countries round about wasting with sword and fire all Essex, Kent, and Sussex. Thence, forcing their foot, diffused far wider their outrageous incursions, without mercy either to sex or age. The slothful king, instead of warlike opposition in the field, sends ambassadors to treat about another payment. 
the sum promised was now sixteen thousand pounds till which paid the danes wintered at southampton ethelred inviting anlof to come and visit him at andover where he was royally entertained some say baptized or confirmed adopted son by the king and dismissed with great presents promising by oath to depart and molest the kingdom no more which he performed but the calamity ended not so for after some intermission of their rage for three years note post christ nine ninety seven return to text the other navy of danes sailing about to the west entered the severn and wasted one while south wales then cornwall and devonshire till at length they wintered about tavistock for it were an endless work to relate how they wallowed up and down to every particular place and to repeat as oft what devastations they wrought what desolations left behind them easy to be imagined in sum the next year note post christ nine ninety eight return to text they afflicted dorsetshire hampshire and the isle of wight by the english many resolutions were taken many armies raised but either betrayed by the falsehood or discouraged by the weakness of their leaders they were put to the rout or disbanded themselves for soldiers most commonly are as their commanders without much odds of valour in one nation or another only as they are more or less wisely disciplined and conducted the following year post christ nine ninety nine return to text brought them back upon kent where they entered the medway and besieged rochester but the kentish men assembling gave them a sharp encounter yet that sufficed not to hinder them from doing as they had done in other places against these depopulations the king levied an army but the unskilful leaders not knowing what to do with it when they had it did but drive out time burdening and impoverishing the people consuming the public treasure and more emboldening the enemy than if they had sat quiet at home what cause moved the danes next year note post christ one thousand to pass into normandy is not recorded but that they returned thence more outrageous than before meanwhile the king to make some diversion undertakes an expedition both by land and sea to cumberland where the danes were most planted there and in the isle of man or as camden saith anglesey imitating his enemies in spoiling and unpeopling the danes from normandy arriving in the river x laid siege to exeter note post christ one thousand one return to text but the citizens as those of london valorously defending themselves they wreak their anger as before on the villages round about the country people of somerset and devonshire assembling themselves at penhoe showed their readiness but wanted a head and besides being then but few in number were easily put to flight the enemy plundering all at will with loaded spoils passed into the isle of wight from whence all dorsetshire and hampshire felt again their fury the saxon annals write that before their coming to exeter the hampshire men had a bickering with them note post christ one thousand two return to text wherein ethelward the king's general was slain adding other things hardly to be understood and in one ancient copy so end ethelred whom no adversity could awake from his soft and sluggish life still coming by the worse at fighting by the advice of his peers not unlike himself 
sends one of his gay courtiers, though looking loftily, to stoop basely, and propose a third tribute to the Danes. They willingly hearken, but the sum is enhanced now to twenty-four thousand pounds, and paid, the Danes thereupon abstaining from hostility. But the king, to strengthen his house by some potent affinity, marries Emma, whom the Saxons call Elgiva, daughter of Richard, Duke of Normandy. With him Ethelred formerly had war, or no good correspondence, as appears by a letter of Pope John the Fifteenth, who made peace between them about eleven years before. Puffed up now with his supposed access of strength by this affinity, he caused the Danes all over England, though now living peaceably, in one day perfidiously to be massacred, both men, women, and children, sending private letters to every town and city whereby they might be ready all at the same hour, which till the appointed time, being the ninth of July, was concealed with great silence, and performed with much unanimity, so generally hated were the Danes. Matthew of Westminster writes that this execution upon the Danes was ten years after, that Huna, one of Ethelred's chief captains, complaining of the Danish insolences in the time of peace, their pride, their ravishing of matrons and virgins, incited the king to this massacre, which, in the madness of rage, made no difference of innocent or nocent. Among these, Gunhildus, the sister of Swain, was not spared, though much deserving, not pity only, but all protection. She, with her husband, Earl Palingus, coming to live in England, and receiving Christianity, had her husband and young son slain before her face, herself then beheaded, foretelling and denouncing that her blood would cost England dear. Some say this was done by the traitor Edric, to whose custody she was committed. But the massacre was some years before Edric's advancement, and if it were done by him afterwards, it seems to contradict the private correspondence which he was thought to hold with the Danes. For Swain, breathing revenge, hasted the next year into England, note, post-Christ 1003, returned text, and by the treason or negligence of Count Hugh, whom Emma had recommended to the government of Devonshire, sacked the city of Exeter, her wall from east to west gate broken down. After this, wasting Wiltshire, the people of that country and of Hampshire came together, in great numbers, with resolutions stoutly to oppose him. But Alfred their general, whose son's eyes the king had lately put out, madly thinking to revenge himself on the king by ruining his own country, when he should have ordered his battle, the enemy being at hand, feigned himself taken with a vomiting, whereby his army in great discontent, destitute of a commander, turned from the enemy, who straight took Wilton and Salisbury, carrying the pillage thereof to the ships. Thence the next year landing on the coast of Norfolk, note post-Christ 1004, returned to text, he wasted the country and set Norwich on fire. Ulfkettle, Duke of the East Angles, a man of great valour, not having space to gather his forces, after consultation had thought it best to make peace with the Dane, which he breaking within three weeks, issued silently out of his ships, came to Thetford, stayed there a night, and in the morning left it flaming. Ulfkettle, hearing this, commanded some to go and break or burn his ships, but they not daring or neglecting, he, 
in the meanwhile with what secrecy and speed was possible drawing together his forces went out against the enemy and gave them a fierce onset retreating to their ships but much inferior in number many of the chief east angles there lost their lives nor did the danes come off without great slaughter of their own confessing that they never met in england with so rough a charge the next year note post christ one thousand five return to text whom war could not a great famine drove swain out of the land but the summer following note post christ one thousand six return to text another great fleet of danes entered the port of sandwich thence poured out over all kent and sussex made prey of what they found the king levying an army out of mercia and the west saxons took on him for once the manhood to go out and face them but they who held it safer to live by rapine and a hazard of battle shifting lightly from place to place frustrated the slow motions of a heavy camp following their wonted course of robbery then running to their ships thus all autumn they wearied out the king's army which gone home to winter they carried all their pillage to the isle of wight and there stayed till christmas at which time the king being in shropshire and but ill employed for by the procurement of edric he caused as his thought alfhelm the noble duke treacherously to be slain and the eyes of his two sons to be put out they came forth again overrunning hampshire and berkshire as far as reading and wallingford thence to ashdune and other places thereabout neither known nor of tolerable pronunciation and returning by another way found many people in arms by the river kennet but making their way through they got safe with vast booty to their ships the king note post christ one thousand seven returned to text and his courtiers wearied out with their last summer's jaunt after the nimble danes to no purpose which by proof they found too toilsome for their soft bones more used to beds and couches had recourse to their last and only remedy their coffers and send now the fourth time to buy a dishonourable peace every time still dearer not to be had now under thirty-six thousand pounds for the danes knew how to milk such easy kind in name of tribute and expenses which out of the people over all england already half beggared was extorted and paid about the same time ethelred advanced edric surnamed strion from an obscure condition to be duke of mercia and marry Edgitha, the king's daughter the cause of his advancement florent of worcester and matthew of westminster attribute to his great wealth begotten by fine policies and a plausible tongue he proved a main accessory to the ruin of england as his actions will soon declare ethelred the next year note post christ one thousand eight return to text somewhat rousing himself ordained that every three hundred and ten hides a hide is so much land as one plough can sufficiently till should set out a ship or galley and every nine hides find a corslet and headpiece new ships in every port were built victualled fraught with stout mariners and soldiers and appointed to meet all at sandwich a man might now think that all would go well when suddenly a new mischief sprung up dissension among the great ones 
which brought all this diligence to as little success as at other times before. Berthric, the brother of Edric, falsely accused Wolmoth, a great officer set over the South Saxons, who, fearing the potency of his enemies, with twenty ships got to sea and practised piracy on the coast, against whom, reported to be in a place where he might be easily surprised, Berthric sets forth with eighty ships, all which, driven back by a tempest and wrecked upon the shore, were burnt soon after by Wolmoth. Disheartened with this misfortune, the king returns to London, the rest of his navy after him, and all this great preparation comes to nothing. Whereupon Turkel, a Danish earl, came with a navy to the Isle of Tanat, note post-Christ 1009, and in August, a far greater, led by Hemming and Elav, joined with him. Thence coasting to Sandwich and landed, they went onward and began to assault Canterbury. But the citizens and East Kentish men, coming to composition with them for three thousand pounds, they departed thence to the Isle of Wight, robbing and burning by the way. Against these, the king levies an army through all the land, and in several quarters places them nigh the sea, but so unskillfully or unsuccessfully, that the Danes were not thereby hindered from exercising their wanted robberies. It happened that the Danes were one day gone up into the country far from their ships. The king, having notice thereof, thought to intercept them in their return. His men were resolute to overcome or die, time and place advantageous, but where courage and fortune were not wanting, there wanted loyalty among them. Edric, with subtle arguments that had a show of deep policy, disputed and persuaded the simplicity of his fellow counsellors that it would be best consulted at that time to let the Danes pass without ambush or interception. The Danes, where they expected danger finding none, passed on with great joy and booty to their ships. After this, sailing about Kent, they lay that winter in the Thames, forcing Kent and Essex to contribution, oft-times attempting the city of London, but repulsed as oft to their great loss. Spring begun, leaving their ships, they passed through Chiltern Wood to Oxfordshire. Note, post-Christ 1010, return to text. Burnt the city, and thence returning with divided forces, wasted on both sides the Thames. But hearing that an army from London was marched out against them, they on the north side, passing the river at Staines, joined with them on the south side into one body, and, enriched with great spoils, came back through Surrey to their ships, which all the Lent time they repaired. After Easter, sailing to the East Angles, they arrived at Ipswich, and came to a place called Ringmere, where they heard that Ulfkettle with his forces lay, who with a sharp encounter soon entertained them. But his men at length giving back, through the subtlety of a Danish servant among them who began the flight, lost the field, though the men of Cambridgeshire stood to it valiantly. In this battle, Ethelstan, the king's son-in-law, with many other noblemen, was slain, whereby the Danes, without more resistance, Three months together had the spoiling of those countries and all the fens, burnt Thetford and Grantbrig, or Cambridge. Thence, to a hilly place not far off, called by Huntington, Bailsham, by Camden, Gogmagog Hills, and the villages thereabout, they turned their fury, slaying all they met, save one man, 
who, getting up into a steeple, is said to have defended himself against the whole Danish army. They therefore, so leaving him, their foot by sea, their horse by land through Essex, returned back laden to their ships left in the Thames. But many days passed not between, when sallying out again of their ships, as out of savage dens, they plundered over again all Oxfordshire, and added to their prey Buckingham, Bedford, and Hertfordshire. Then, like wild beasts glutted, returning to their caves. A third excursion they made into Northamptonshire, burnt Northampton, ransacking the country round. Then, as a fresh pasture, betook them to the West Saxons, and in like sort, harassing all Wiltshire, returned, as I said before, like wild beasts, or rather sea monsters, to their water staples, accomplishing by Christmas the circuit of their whole year's good deeds, an unjust and inhuman nation, who, receiving or not receiving tribute where none was owing them, made such destruction of mankind and rapine of their livelihood as is a misery to read. Yet here they cease not, for the next year, note post-Christ 10.11, return to text, repeating the same cruelties on both sides of the Thames, one way as far as Huntington, the other as far as Wiltshire and Southampton, solicited again by the king for peace, and receiving their demands, both a tribute and contribution, they slighted their faith, and in the beginning of September laid siege to Canterbury. On the twentieth day, by the treachery of Almere the archdeacon, they took part of it, and burnt it, committing all sorts of massacre as a sport. Some they threw over the wall, others into the fire, hung some by the privy members. Infants, pulled from their mother's breasts, were either tossed on spears or carts drawn over them, matrons and virgins by the hair dragged and ravished. Alfage, the grave archbishop above others hated of the Danes, as in all counsels and actions to his might their own opposer, taken, wounded, imprisoned in a noisome ship. The multitude are tithed, and every tenth only spared. Early the next year before Easter, note, post-Christ 1012, seek, return to text, while Ethelred and his peers were assembled at London to raise now the fifth tribute, amounting to forty-eight thousand pound, the Danes at Canterbury proposed to the archbishop, who had been now seven months their prisoner, life and liberty if he paid them three thousand pound, which he refusing, as not able of himself, and not willing to extort it from his tenants, is permitted till the next Sunday to consider. Then, hauled before the council, of whom Turpin was chief, and still refusing, they rise, most of them being drunk, and beat him with the blunt side of their axes, then thrust forth, deliver him to be pelted with stones. Till one Thrun, a converted Dane, pitying him half dead, to put him out of pain with a pious impiety, at one stroke of his axe on the head, dispatched him. His body was carried to London, and there buried, thence afterwards removed to Canterbury. By this time the tribute paid, and peace, so often violated, sworn again by the Danes, they dispersed their fleet, forty-five of them, and Turkel their chief, stayed at London, with the king, swore him allegiance to defend his land against all strangers, on condition only to be fed and clothed by him, 
but this voluntary friendship of turco was thought to be deceitful that staying under this pretence he gave intelligence to swain when most it would be seasonable to come in july therefore of the next year note post christ ten twelve return to text king swain arriving at sandwich made no stay there but sailing first to the humber thence into trent landed and encamped at gainsborough whither without delay repaired to him the northumbrians with uthred their earl those of lindsay also then those of fisburg and lastly all on the north of watling street which is a highway from east to west sea gave oath and hostages to obey him from whom he commanded horses and provision for his army taking with him besides bands and companies of their choicest men and committing to his son canute the care of his fleet and hostages he marches towards the south mercians commanding his soldiers to exercise all acts of hostility with the terror whereof fully executed he took in few days the city of oxford then winchester thence tending to london in his hasty passage over the thames without seeking bridge or ford lost many of his men nor was his expedition against london prosperous for assaying all means of force or while to take the city wherein the king then was and turco with his dames he was stoutly beaten off as at other times thence back to wallingford and bath directing his course after usual havoc made he sat a while and refreshed his army there ethelm an earl of devonshire and other great officers in the west yielded him subjection these things flowing to his wish he betook him to his navy from that time styled and accounted king of england if a tyrant saith simeon may be called a king the londoners also sent him hostages and made their peace for they feared his fury ethelred thus reduced to narrow compass sent emma his queen with his two sons had by her and all his treasure to richard the second her brother duke of normandy himself with his danish fleet abode some while at greenwich then sailing to the isle of wight passed after christmas into normandy where he was honourably received at rouen by the duke though known to have borne himself churlishly and proudly to emma his sister besides his dissolute company with other women meanwhile swain ceased not to exact almost insupportable tribute of the people spoiling them when he listed besides the like did Turkel at Greenwich. The next year beginning, no, post Christ 1014, return to text, Swain sickens and dies, some say terrified and smitten by an appearing shape of St. Edmund, armed, whose church at Bury he had threatened to demolish. But the authority hereof relies only upon the legend of St. Edmund. After his death, the Danish army and fleet made his son Canute their king, but the nobility and states of England sent messengers to Ethelred declaring that they preferred none before their native sovereign, if he would promise to govern them better than he had done, and with more clemency. Whereat the king rejoicing sends over his son Edward with ambassadors to court both high and low, and win their love, promising largely to be their mild and devoted lord to consent in all things to their will follow their counsel and whatever had been done or spoken by any man against him freely to pardon 
if they would loyally restore him to be their king. To this the people cheerfully answered, and amity was both promised and confirmed on both sides. An embassy of lords is sent to bring back the king honorably. He returns in Lent and is joyfully received of the people, and marches with a strong army against Canute, who, having got horses and joined with the men of Lindsay, was preparing to make spoil in the countries adjoining. But by Ethelred unexpectedly coming upon him, was soon driven to his ships, and his confederates of Lindsay were left to the anger of their countrymen, by whom they were executed without mercy, both by fire and sword. Canute, in all haste sailing back to Sandwich, took the hostages given to his father from all parts of England, and, with slit noses, ears cropped, and hands chopped off, setting them ashore, departed into Denmark. Yet the people were not disburdened, for the king raised out of them thirty thousand pounds to pay his fleet of Danes at Greenwich. In addition to these evils, the sea in October passed its bounds, overwhelming many towns in England, and of their inhabitants many thousands. The year following, note post-Christ 1015, return to text, an assembly being at Oxford, Edric Strion, having invited two noblemen, Sigferth and Morcar, the sons of Irngren of Sievenberg, to his lodging, secretly murdered them. The king, for what causes unknown, seized their estates, and caused Algith, the wife of Sigferth, to be kept at Madelsburg, now Malmesbury, whom Edmund the prince there married against his father's mind, and then went and possessed their lands, making the people there subject to him. Matthew of Westminster saith that these two were of the Danes who had seated themselves in Northumberland, and were slain by Edric under colour of treason laid to their charge. They who attended them without, tumulting at the death of their masters, were beaten back, and driven into a church, and there defending themselves were burnt in the steeple. Meanwhile, Canute returning from Denmark with a great navy, two hundred ships richly gilded and adorned, well fraught with arms and all provision, and, which the encomian Emma mentions not, two other kings, Lachman of Sweden, Olaf of Norway, arrived at Sandwich, and, as the same author then living writes, sent out spies to discover what resistance on land was to be expected, who returned with certain report that a great army of English was in readiness to oppose them. Turkil, who upon the arrival of these Danish powers kept faith no longer with the English, but joining now with Canute, as it were now to re-ingratiate himself after his revolt, whether real or complotted, counselled him, being yet young, not to land, but to leave to him the management of this first battle. The king assented, and he with the forces which he had brought, and part of those which arrived with Canute, landing to their wish, encountered the English, though double in number, at a place called Scoraston, and was at first beaten back with much loss. But at length, animating his men with rage only and despair, obtained a clear victory, which won him great reward and possessions from Canute. But of this action no other writer makes mention. From Sandwich, therefore, sailing about to the river Frome, and there landing, over all Dorsetshire, Somersetshire, and Wiltshire, he spread wasteful hostility. The king lay then sick at Cosham, in this county, though it may seem strange how he could lie sick there in the midst of his enemies. 
albeit edmund in one part and edric of strion in another raised forces by themselves but so soon as both armies were united the traitor edric being found to practice against the life of edmund he removed with his army from him whereof the enemy took great advantage edric easily enticing the forty ships of danes to side with him revolted to canute the west saxons also gave pledges and furnished him with horses by which means the year ensuing note post christ ten sixteen returned to text he with edric the traitor passing the thames at Crecklad about twelfth tide entered into mercia and especially warwickshire depopulating all places in their way against these prince edmund who for his hardiness was called ironside gathered an army but the mercians refused to fight unless ethelred with the londoners came to aid them and so every man returned home after the festival edmund gathering another army besought his father to come with the londoners and what force besides he was able they came with great strength gotten together but being come and in a hopeful way of good success it was told the king that unless he took the better heed some of his own forces would fall off and betray him the king daunted with this perhaps cunning whisper of the enemy disbanding his army returns to london edmund betook him into northumberland as some thought to raise fresh forces but he with an earl uthred on the one side and canute with edric on the other did little else but lay waste the provinces canute with a view to conquer them edmund to punish those who stood neuter for which cause staffordshire shropshire and leicestershire felt heavily his hand while canute who was ruining the more southern shires at length marched into northumberland which edmund hearing dismissed his forces and came to london uthred the earl hasted back to northumberland and finding no other remedy submitted himself with all the northumbrians giving hostages to canute nevertheless by his command or connivance and the hand of one turebrand a danish lord uthred was slain and eric another dane was made earl in his stead this uthred son of watyoth as simeon writes in his treatise of the siege of durham in his youth obtained a great victory against malcolm son of kennet king of scots who with the whole power of his kingdom was fallen into northumberland and laid siege to durham watyoth the old earl unable to resist had secured himself in bevenberg a strong town but uthred gathering an army raised the siege slew most of the scots their king narrowly escaping and with the heads of their slain fixed upon poles beset round the walls of durham the year of this exploit simeon clears not for in nine sixty nine and in the reign of ethelred as he affirms it could not be canute by another way returning southward joyful of his success before easter came back with all the army to his fleet about the end of april ensuing ethelred after a long troublesome and ill-governed reign ended his days at london and was buried in the church of st paul end of book six part one of the history of britain by john milton recording by thomas copeland